a big part is also founder like having a founder mentality and mm -hmm. so if you if you think of yourself as the founder or the owner of a company or a brand you are more likely to do whatever it takes to get the mission accomplished mm -hmm. and so having you know having a founder mentality where you take ownership for the trash getting taken out or you take ownership for the burgers getting flipped or whatever it is that really sets you up for success in almost any field So I will kick it off with a softball here. Did you see that Scarlett Johansson and Disney settled out of court with their lawsuit? No, I was actually wondering what happened with that. So what happened was they signed a contract for Black Widow and then COVID-19 happened and theaters got smoked they decided to release black widow on disney plus their streaming platform for like a paid premiere as well as the theatrical release and what that meant is that no one went and saw it in theaters basically so scarlett yeah. johansson and her team decided to sue disney plus it's her last movie as uh black widow she's been doing this for 10 years which is mm -hmm. pretty crazy when you think about it yeah doing uh doing so many movies as the same character they settled out of court and she basically said like hey you guys didn't pay me like this part of the contract and they said we already paid you 20 million dollars and obviously that wasn't enough so they paid her some more and the lawsuit is over as is their so they relationship settled. They settled yeah. out of court, yes. Yeah, because for a lot of actors, uh, those opening box office numbers definitely get factored in when it comes to you know making that extra money aside from being paid for doing the acting gig. So I could see how that could definitely hurt because if a lot of people are paying for an extra level for Disney+, Plus, right, and then they're just watching it there, well, then you can have five people over and watch on one person's premiere access versus having five people paying X amount of dollars to go in to see it in theaters. Well, Disney Plus for the uh, premieres, they charge you $30. So a uh, special price. Is it like a one-time or do you have access? Good question. I think it's like a 24-hour rental. I haven't done it. Oh, interesting. When, when's the last time you went to a movie in theaters, though? Uh, last time was I saw Mortal Kombat when it was in theaters when was Fairly it recently. april yeah okay okay so you you like waited to see something you really wanted to see right in theaters yeah it, it's like the first movie theater or movie theater experience i've had probably since you know all the covid stuff went down the last movie i saw in theaters was the lego movie 2 and <laughs> i may never go back just don't see lego movie 2 right or lego just, movie 3 just maybe there's something else that's uh more worth watching okay so the next thing did you see is tiktok surpassed 1 billion monthly users not a shocker they've only been around for three years so i have some stats on tiktok so they right. just passed 1 billion monthly global users it's also the favorite platform of content creators per a new study from the influencer marketing factory which sounds like a potentially made up name but <laughs> the company's most recent survey included responses from 500 people 85 percent of these people said it was their full-time job the correlation is between creators favorite platforms and platforms where they make the most money so of the people they talked to 
30% of them preferred TikTok and 24% of them said it's the platform where they make the most money. Interesting. Um, so then 22% uh, preferred TikTok, oh yeah, sorry, Instagram, preferred Instagram and 22 of them, 22% said it's the platform where they make the most money. And then same thing for YouTube, 22% preferred YouTube and 20% said it's the platform that they make the most money. So it makes sense that if you're a content creator, you're doing this as a, as you're living, um, you're going to prefer the one that you have the most relevance and have the most influence and make the most financial gain. And has about, you know, a billion or so people using it every month. Yeah. A lot of people helps. Um, the the scrolling algorithmic part of it was something that I kind of wanted to touch on because uh, AI, artificial intelligence, is such a, a buzz phrase right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know neither of us spend a lot of time on TikTok. TikTok keeps appearing everywhere. So mm-hmm. I saw it this week in uh, Beethoven. Um, basically, they are creating the 10th symphony based on a little bit of his writing before he died and then artificial intelligence will write the rest. So I thought this was kind of interesting, just touching on like where we are in tech and music. Yeah. I thought I remember hearing something a while back that there was some kind of like AI software that basically has all these different things inputted of classical pieces that have been done over the it years. Helps you write. Sure. Yeah. So you can kind of, more or less put something together that sounds like it was written by those types of composers because it uses these very like theoretical algorithms or whatever is put into it so it's like anyone can put something it's like together. using the same rules yeah yeah but then it's like nothing's ever going to be really more interesting than something that basically just sounds like someone who put you know Mahler and Beethoven and you know put all this stuff together and it's like okay well it sounds like something that's already been done but it's nothing that's really gonna like break the rules or take anyone's job you know I don't think yeah I think a part where it would take someone's job if you're doing like stock music or library music that is very uh formulaic and stereotypical it's Mm -hmm. pretty easy for like artificial intelligence to replace that I think but with Beethoven they are performing the work on October 9th in Bonn, Germany. And then they're going to release a recording of the symphony. So I will definitely check that out. He started, Beethoven started work on his 10th symphony, but due to deteriorating health, wasn't able to make much headway. All he left behind were some musical sketches. And so now a team of music historians musicologists, composers, and computer scientists, Beethoven's vision will come to life. So I think it could be interesting just seeing, obviously they're going to input a lot of Beethoven-esque rules into Mm -hmm. the piece and then have real players perform it. So uh, I will keep you posted on how that sounds. Interesting. I don't know how I would feel if there was a piece of music that I was working on before I died and then... Someone's like, all right, we're going to use technology to finish to bring, it. Bring your music back from yeah. the dead. Well, watch it just like it resurrects him, brings him back. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is all That's wrong. not what I was. This is all wrong. That's not what I was going to do. I that mean, it's an, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting idea. 
mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. Actually, it, it, it'd be interesting to to see what other people would do with it. Like if, uh, all right, so here's here's what he had. Like you do your interpretation of how you would finish it or something. Maybe just to to see what people would do with their own inspiration of your music sort of right. thing. But I don't, I don't know. I don't either. Uh, an, I'll let you know. Interest, it's an interesting idea, though. It comes out next it's week. Gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of people very upset about it. No, you wouldn't have done that. <laughs> the internet yeah. will be outraged. <laughs> but speaking of AI, this company called Baby Audio has released an AI tape emulation plugin that's designed to capture the invisible nuances of analog circuits. So they spelled tape T I uh, sorry T A I P. So mm-hmm. there's there's AI in the middle of it, Ooh. which is clever and cheesy at the same time. Oh, they're, um, they're really trying to get people upset. Oh, yeah. So AI, says, AI is one of those words that like it can it'll get some conversations going. And sometimes, yeah. So this says rather than using traditional DSP, this is built around an AI algorithm that's designed to decipher invisible nuances of analog circuits. And you can recreate the true warmth and behavior of analog tape. Um, so you can add saturation and glue to drums, instruments, and vocals, or drive it hard and use tape as an alternative to a distortion plugin. Interesting. I so think I, I think I saw some someone. Maybe it was Dom. I think Dom had a video where he was talking about it. I don't know why, because um, that name sounds very familiar. I haven't had a chance to check it out. Sounds interesting though. Yeah, it, I think it'll be interesting to see. You know, obviously you have to separate the uh, buzzword popularity from like actual features, but I think it'll be interesting to see how plugin developers use artificial intelligence moving forward. Like we we did talk about Ozone having the mastering assistant that mm-hmm. listens to your track and shows you you know, dynamic areas or frequency spectrum areas that you could fix. Yeah, I've always thought that was really interesting. I mean, like the other day I was just sitting and I had a random thought of like how computers and all this stuff kind of came to be, you know, just like, oh, like I'm going to take these little microchips and make this board that then projects this image. Like, I mean, when I try to think of that kind of stuff, my brain is just like, yeah, that's above your pay grade. for sure. That's way above my pay grade. And when I think of plugins that recreate amps or analog hardware, stuff like that, it's just crazy that, you know, people are using all this software to recreate these different things, like how you go about it. And now with people trying to utilize AI with, with stuff and recreating, I think it's really interesting and definitely the next step forward in technology. It's how can we take what we have and using, you know, all this different math and, and scripting to to create all this you know recreations of hardware gear and in, into the digital world it's uh yeah it blows my mind when i think about it yeah it'll be interesting to see how it how it kind of progresses moving forward do you watch jhs pedals youtube channel Mm-mm. do you uh do you have any jhs pedals are you familiar with the brand no no actually i don't i don't think i've ever heard of those pedals at all Okay, so they're big in like the uh, worship music, um, like church music arena, as well as like uh, country, and I guess some genres that you're not really playing. <laughs> uh, but they make... most of my guitars look like demonic sculptures from hell. No, I'm just kidding. Right, right. Skeletal. <laughs> uh, 
basically they make uh they have like a large line of pedals and they're all kind of like in the boutique arena of uh overdrives and delays and some some interesting uh like tube distortion stuff like that mm -hmm. but they have a really great youtube channel talking about the history of pedals and they just made a video fairly recently about pedal order mm -hmm. and this also applies really well to plug-in order in an effects chain yeah and so they were talking about like is it important and we have these uh you know premonitions of like standards that we use mm -hmm. but what actually sounds best and so their their motto from this video is just try it like it like everyone says okay put your overdrive before distortion and like so they switch they switch the overdrive and distortion and play it both ways just to hear what uh which one they prefer mm -hmm. and sometimes it varies song to song and then you know so he talks about the fuzz should always be the first thing you plug into you plug your guitar into because it's like a really dirty circuit that hogs a lot of signal mm. and if you put it at the last part of your signal chain it just sounds really trashy so that was kind of interesting and i don't know i don't know if you think about effects chain order when you're mixing but that's something that i play around with with like you know reverbs in front of delays or delays in front of reverbs uh modulation earlier later in the chain yeah i i definitely think about it i i feel like i don't think about it as much because i have certain standard moves that i do like right. when it comes to first in the chain usually it'll be like an eq try and like totally. filter out everything first because i've seen a lot of debate as far as like do you do compressor first and then eq or eq and then compression but it's like how you EQ something going into a compressor will affect how that compressor can react. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those like tomato, tomato type things. Uh, as far as like reverbs and effects, I don't really think about that too much because I generally use those on effects tracks mm -hmm. and I just feed into them. Well, I, I'm not really thinking about it too much from a RAM point of view now, but back when, you know, you have limited resources, you can't just throw some giant you know ram hogging reverb on every single track plus it's kind of pointless you know i would do the whole like on a group track or or in cubase you can have an effects track where you put one black hole reverb or some orchestral reverb like liquid sonics or something and because some of those can get pretty uh you know resource hogging mm -hmm. so i generally think about it as like like someone who has a rack with a bunch of you know hardware effects and it's like i'm just feeding into that that's kind yeah. of how i try to think about it these days um as far as like actual hardware pedals i definitely used to think about that when uh like the early days of of playing in bands of you know i used to have a, a pedal board with like a distortion i had i think i had that that red whammy pedal i had a <laughs> nice, delay nice. i think i might have had a chorus pedal i had a wah at a steve vibe bad horsey wah i would definitely experiment or think about that kind of stuff then because how where you place your delay can definitely you know have an effect mm -hmm. or where your distortion is because i i didn't use the distortion on on the head that i had back then it was just kind of this like cheapy marshall one but the main distortion was from a, i think it was a digitech metal master pedal that i had oh, baby uh, probably sounds like horseshit these days but back <laughs> then i through. thought yeah back then everyone thought it sounded cool like i was like oh it sounds pretty heavy you know 
I think it almost replicated like an HM2 kind of distortion, just super aggressive and really kind of chuggy. Now nowadays, not so much. I mean, I do have a couple pedals that I that I have. This uh this precision drive one. It's like a little basically horizon devices version of a like a tube, like a tube screamer, you know. Sweet. So it's pretty cool for for people who are wanting to do sort of um having a drive into their distortion because it kind of tightens up the sound it's like a, a a trick that a lot of people use for just kind of tightening up the distortion because sometimes the low end can get a little bit tubby so it kind of focuses it gives it a little extra gain just to kind of add a little bit of that extra zing to it some brightness yeah and then most of the time any time-based effects i just always ran it through the effects loop so i didn't really think about it too much as far as where reverbs and delays sit because i would just throw it through the effects loop and it's kind of like its own little pathway and sure. then overdrives and stuff always into the front of the head i know you you definitely have a lot more pedals and like a whole little pedal board i remember you uh i think on your youtube channel you did a video talking about it a while back i did yeah a while back um nothing's changed on that front i saw all those pedals and i run synths through them as well as guitars and so yeah i do distortion first coming from whatever is being signaled so the guitar into distortion and overdrive and then into like modulation um, pitch effects and i don't use a compressor on that board i'll typically use those as plugins but then uh reverb delay then reverb using the using your hardware pedals have uh have you notice a specific change in sound by going delay reverb or reverb delay yeah um if you do reverb first and then delay your delays become much more present and like uh distinct you can hear the actual delays happening if you flip that and do delay into reverb the reverb washes out your delays so that's sometimes a good thing like if i'm making ambiences i would actually i usually prefer doing delay into reverb mm. and the reverb kind of just spreads it and washes it but they're less distinct if that makes sense totally yeah that's cool using those pedals and stuff in your computer especially if you're doing like ambiences and stuff how do you go about routing it how do you how do you do that typically if i'm recording those i will just plug my synth into the pedal board and then plug my pedal board directly into the interface with the uh, uh, direct box mm -hmm. and then record it like that. I'm not typically doing like an effects loop, but I can do that with the interface where you, you know, plug the output into the input and then output into the input of the box. Mm -hmm. um, but typically I'm just using it as like, like an instrument um, and playing turning knobs that's the fun of getting out of the daw is uh just turning real knobs and mm -hmm. faders yeah that's what uh what i was getting into when i uh, i did that video where i was talking about using pedals as plugins mm -hmm. and that was something different for me because i got this uh this cool pedal the flex echo same company as the as the the precision drive because there's a lot of these different modes on it from like really analog kind of delays or sort of warbly reverbs and that sort nice. of thing. And I was like, well, that'd be kind of cool to experiment using hardware pedals in the computer. So it's like trying to kind of merge the two. It, it's definitely an interesting way of working. Sometimes you have to bounce stuff out in real time just because the way things work, it's not always just going to render out the way you want. So sure. it's a little bit of a different workflow 
but it's definitely an interesting way of working. I've definitely wanted to get into experimenting with hardware stuff for like mixing and mastering, you know, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, using some kind of hardware compressor, running it through and, and stuff like that. Cause I think it's just when you use plugins all the time, you eventually want to experiment with some different stuff. Like, I wonder if bringing in the analog, you know, if it really affects it. Sure. But I just can't bring myself to just forking out the cash for that stuff. They're getting cheaper all the time though. Cause no one wants them anymore. Yeah. Everyone's just like, I got this plugin that does everything and I could run a thousand of them on the right. same track. I don't need you no more. Right. Uh, yeah. And plus there's a lot of companies that are making clones of some of these really expensive pieces of gear. Totally. So you can always get those, you know, replications of like SSL hardware and, and stuff like that. I have see you seen that the, have you seen the DIY kits where you build your own, like a, a Neve clone or something like that? I want to say yes. Like I've seen where people have like those little, it's like little modular strips where they'll just like boop, boop, boop. It's kind of. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like Legos for adults. Basically they just mm-hmm. send you a box full of parts and you have to solder it all together. Oh, so you actually put the unit together yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty interesting. It's a fraction of the cost and you get to learn about, uh, you know, your, your hardware. Yeah, you just better hope you do it right. <laughs> That's part of the fun. Yeah. That's the thing about me. I get too nervous about that sort of stuff. That's why when, when, uh, when we were putting together the, my computer, I was like, Nathan, can I get your help? Cause I, like I never put together a computer. So that kind of stuff makes me nervous. Sure. So it's always good. First time around, you don't want to, you know, connect something to the wrong thing, especially because when you have all these parts, you don't want to mess something up. They're expensive Legos. Yes. Yeah, one of the things that I was wanting to talk to you about was sort of your approach for learning new music. Because uh, for me, lately, I've been learning some new material for for some live shows that we got coming up next year. Nice. And I'm always curious to hear other people's perspectives on how they go about learning new music. I know there's so many different ways. Some people can just kind of devour music and in one chunk but uh, i'm interested to hear your perspective as far as how you go about learning new music either on guitar or keyboard or that sort of thing yeah it depends what it is i would say if it's something melodic i like to try to be able to sing it so i'll just have it in my ears when i'm exercising or when i'm going to sleep at night i'm just constantly playing the track and just getting really familiar with it almost like you're listening to your favorite musical or your favorite Uh, concept album or something and you know what's coming up next Uh, after I get really familiar with it I'll try to be able to like hum along or sing along with the music and your basic your brain's basically memorizing the music through repetition if it's if it's something fast I like to throw it into software and slow it down at least 50 percent and I will play along at you know half speed those are my two like go-to tips i would say like those are those are the two things i use a lot for learning new music is Mm -hmm. just getting familiar trying to sing it and then internalizing it and then playing it real slow what about you uh for me it it kind of varies i mean for the the stuff that i'm playing it's very like physically demanding stuff on the guitar it's like no real like uh room for breathing too much Sure. So a lot of it is just like a lot of different notes and, and stuff like that. So I feel like for very busy music, I usually, what I'll try to do is I'll, I'll break it into small little chunks. 
So it'll be like, all right, like let's get the intro. Nice. And then it'll just be learning that once I kind of at least have the gist of all of the all of the the notes. Like, all right, I know it. Maybe I can't fully play through it, but I get it. Then I'll move on to the next part. And then usually what I'll try to do is like work from like, you know, beginning verse into the chorus or something like that. Sometimes if there's more parts that are a little bit more busy or really tough, I'll just focus on that just over and over. Or if there's like a, a, a weird part where it's like odd time or it's really like throwing me off every time I know that part's coming up, I'm like, oh God, I'm like dreading it. Sure. I'll just take that part and I'll just work on it over and over. Usually I don't ever, I've never done the whole like slowing stuff down and playing along to it. I've never done it that way. The other guitarist in my band, he, he does that. Like in guitar pro, you can slow it down. You can take mm -hmm. all the stuff and just slow it down to whatever you can actually set it up to where it'll go up one BPM every time it loops apart. Nice. Which is pretty interesting. And I think it could be super helpful. I'm just too lazy to go in and do that. I just do it like the old school hard way and just like, <laughs> just grind it out over and over. I what, used are you, to, what are you looking at when you're doing that? Does someone like write these tabs out or yeah, what, what? we usually tab out all the stuff. So okay, as nice. like, you know, as we're working on pre-production for the albums, normally what we do is each person will have like their own guitar pro tab where it's just loaded with a bunch of riffs and ideas. And then like for the last album, I would then sort of take everything and kind of put it together and arrange okay. it. And then from there, we then like, you know, just like copy and paste from one tab into what is the actual song. Sure. And then from there, we just, you know, once it's done, save it off. And then we'll just use that as reference for when it's time to actually learn the stuff, whether we're doing like playthroughs or, or, or live now, which has been like, like almost 15 years since the band's played live. So it's pretty, uh, wow. Yeah. Pretty nerve wracking. So yeah, it's a lot of just like grinding out the stuff. So, I mean, like I, I haven't played live since like 2013 so i haven't really just like sat and like jammed out songs for a while yeah so it's kind of like forced me to go back and learn tabs you know again which isn't really that hard it's kind of like riding a bike really like when mm -hmm. you haven't done it like i i'm horrible with notation using notation every day or something for me to like really like take the time to do it because i just i don't use it that much in my daily work uh, if, if I was probably doing like film composing or assisting for composers or doing orchestration and stuff, yeah, you would definitely need to know that kind of stuff. Um, but for tabs, yeah, it's generally what we use. And then, yeah, I just kind of, you know, look at it, play it. All right, cool. I'm, I'm very like, uh, I don't know if, if you're like this too, but like very pattern oriented. I think I'm, yeah. I don't know why. Uh, I think I've always just kind of developed that. I'm very like visual learner. So like, I just try to like either just remember how things look or like how patterns are, are, are formed on the guitar. Also your brain, on the keyboard. your brain definitely remembers like chunks, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just like chunking, you know, little sections that helps a lot. And then you can kind of string those chunks together. Yeah. That's usually the way I think about it. It's like learning this chunk and then learning this chunk and then learning the part where those chunks meet. Yeah. Cause sometimes that could be the thing too, where you're learning a piece of music and you forget like, oh, that part's coming up and then you got to rewind it and you want to get that like smooth transition and like, cause just learning this part and then like different parts that that's part of it, but it's learning how the whole song flows and being able to just like nail it all the way through. I think that's kind of the, 
the real hard part of it is getting it to be one smooth. So how many each. how many hours a week are you playing Guitar Hero to get to this level? I don't play Guitar Hero. I'm horrible at Guitar Hero. I, I thought that was the secret to success. No, the secret you know, the secret to being good at Guitar Hero is playing Guitar Hero. The secret to playing <laughs> guitar is playing guitar. It's funny. I've I've had friends who didn't play guitar but could just completely dominate me in guitar hero and they're like but you play guitar i'm like yeah i play guitar not guitar hero like (laughs) you have five buttons i have you know i don't even know how many frets yeah Yeah. you know over a hundred or so frets of different notes like i don't think about it is like you know to me i'm just playing this like chromatic scale you know that sort of thing it's funny one of the things i used to do when i was in high school when i just wasn't paying attention in my classes and i was just like thinking about guitar all day right is uh i would sit with guitar tabs and i would try to learn it without a guitar in my hand oh yeah just like visualize it yeah and i think that's a, another reason why learning with tabs is fairly easy for me especially when mm-hmm. i when i think of the pattern stuff because i could just sort of imagine it's it's like when you play guitar enough you can basically play without looking like you're it's just totally. you've internalized these patterns and scale shapes and you know even like if i'm playing certain like inversions of a of a minor arpeggio you know when you have this kind of like half step and and whole step shapes even if you were playing you know let's say like a g major scale where you have whole step whole step whole step whole step half step whole step half step whole step then like in that in that same half step whole step if you like invert your fingers now you're doing you know part of a first inversion minor arpeggio sort of thing so i would always try to see how these different shapes connect with each other and just by i think doing that kind of stuff too in your practice it helps when you're learning music too because you just sort of relate it to everything that you know and i feel like that's kind of how i've always tried to go about it with everything Mm -hmm. is like you know whether you're getting into working out or something you know i would always try to relate it to how i practiced guitar i don't know if you used to like make your own little guitar workout schedule like i used to do that like monday like i'm gonna do the major modes and I'm going to play them with alternate picking and then I'll work on, you know, arpeggios for 15 you had minutes. Your, you had your fitness routine. Exactly. Yeah. For my, for my hands. Nice. And, and I used to do that sort of thing. And then like the next day, like, Oh, I'm going to do the harmonic minor modes, but I'm going to do it legato. So it's like you're learning scales while you're also practicing a different technique, or you yeah. can do the same thing with like, Oh, I'm going to do this set of modes but now i'm going to do it like tapping where it's like hammer on and tap you know so kind of doing the whole like killing two birds with one stone sort of thing and i assume you guys are not playing with the music on stage so you are you're memorizing everything no i've never done that live and i'm yeah yeah i mean you got a lot of music to memorize then how long does it take you to be able to play a song through without you know referring back sometimes i can learn a song within like an hour sometimes i can learn a song within a couple hours sometimes it takes me a while just because maybe some of the parts are just really unfamiliar so i just need to like sit and grind it out sure like i like there's times where i've had songs where like i i've i've listened to them so many times that it's just a matter of like learning what the actual notes are because i one of the things i used to do before i even got a guitar was i used to listen to it and try to imagine like what they were doing so if it was like dun, 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 i'd be like dun, 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 like kind of sort of air guitar it you were playing air guitar yeah 
Yeah. And, and, but then once I actually got a guitar, I can kind of mimic it. I wasn't playing any notes or chords, just kind of like hitting open, open notes or, you know, sure. So it's like, it's like how drummers, like future drummers play pots and pans as little kids. It's like, mm -hmm. it's very similar. It's not the same, but you're like, you're practicing for greatness. Yeah. It's just like playing air drums. Or if you're like, you know, doing that sort of thing, it, it's the same thing. You're connecting when your foot lands to when your mm -hmm. right hand goes down, what your other hand is playing on the, you know, the ups or downs of the beat and that sort of thing. I mean, of course you definitely want to practice on a real kit if you're yeah. really doing it, but a lot of it is very mental. I feel like I can sit and probably practice a song in my head because I remember hearing this thing, uh, a guitarist, Steve, I was saying, if you can imagine yourself doing something like completely, like if it was really happening, you can do it in real life. And I guess what he used to do was he used to imagine himself, you know, playing with the guitar, like, you know, whipping his arm around and doing all these crazy moves and stuff. And, and if you ever watch some of how he plays, he does that, you know, he'll just like whip the whammy bar around and like move his hands and do all this crazy <laughs> stuff. And you just hear all this like wild music coming out of his guitar. And, and I've thought about that, you know, when let's say there's like a lick or something that you just, you can't get down. It's like, if you can't even imagine yourself playing it, you're not going to be able to play it even when mm. you have a guitar in your hands. Sure. Like it's like you still fumble in your head, even when you're trying to imagine it, like if you were, you know, really running through it. So it's just more of like connecting the mental with the, with the physical. And so if you are listening to, it'll say, you know, all the notes to a piece of music and then you just listen to it. You can, or like mentally practice everything as if you were really playing, like, I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of what I've always tried to do. Cause sometimes you can't, always have a guitar in your hand. So, you know, I used to even like, sometimes when I would be walking around at, you know, at work and old jobs, I would just kind of like, imagine like, you know, playing certain things as if I was playing it, just air guitaring it. And you, it's still a, a valid form of practice. I think if you're, yeah, if composing you're mentally, in your head, yeah. Or just practicing in your head mm -hmm. and then you go home and it's kind of like, Oh, okay. Like you're, you know, probably like 50% there. Just got to put your hands on it. Yeah. I think the brain is, you know, the thing you're actually practicing and rehearsing. And so if you're visualizing, you know, one, three, two, four kind of exercise, um, it's pretty easy to actually put pen to paper later. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So I saw a couple things that I wanted to share with you. Uh, do you know who James clear is? Never heard the name. Okay. What's he nice. About? So James Clear is a best-selling author. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits, hmm. and you should definitely read it. It's all about habit stacking and basically creating habits that build on top of each other and uh, just basically creating discipline in your life and um, managing success. So he wrote uh, something on his newsletter. And it is how to build a career in seven steps. Uh, number one, do great work. Two is share it publicly. Three is cold email people two steps ahead of you. Four is talk about your work and trade ideas. Five is host events and meet in person. Six is become friends. And seven is rise together. Nice. So that is how to build a career in seven steps. And the one thing, number three is what, what stood out to me, cold email cold email people two steps ahead of you. Um, people are really scared to send cold emails because we fear rejection. 
but mm-hmm. cold emails pretty much have set me up uh so far like i cold emailed sound iron when i was looking for a job doing music software mm-hmm. i cold emailed all of my music studio internships um we get cold emails from people asking about being demo composers yeah reviewing uh, products stuff like that yeah i mean the worst like the the most obvious thing that's going to happen is they don't see the email or they ignore it and then pretty much worst case scenario is they say no to whatever you're asking and so if you think of it from a law of large numbers or a, a numbers game mm-hmm. situation uh the more you know cold emails you send and shoot your shot the better your chances are yeah that's something i see people talk about especially on forums or you know different social media things like how do how do you go about getting landing the gig yeah you know i mean if if you're doing that thing where you have like a template and you're just blasting that like sure, to sure. everyone's email that might not be the best way to go well like everyone you- everyone recognizes a template email at this point especially if you don't even add like any personal info about the company you're emailing like research you've done as Do far as what they're about yeah yeah like insert name here you you put the wrong that you leave the wrong name that you copy pasted in you know yeah i'm sure there's some people out there guilty of that yeah i've always liked to try, at least try to like if you're gonna you know try to get some composing gig or something at least do some research on the company or you know hopefully like not like there's no point in just like cold emailing people for the sake of cold emailing people just like spamming yeah yeah it's it's like you're you're gonna get probably the results that you put in exactly yeah that's a good way to put it which is none uh and then talk about your work and trade ideas i really liked that because um there is kind of a persona of like hide in a cave until you create your masterpiece and then come out and show everyone and we live in a different age now where it's much more show your work as it's being created and mm-hmm. then when you actually release the finished product you have fans who have seen you you know composing the album or whatever mm-hmm. along the entire journey they're much more willing to buy your product because they've seen all the work that goes into it and then, you know, just trading ideas is what we're doing here in this podcast is, is going mm-hmm. back and forth with plugins we like or effects chains or books. Um, and so I think, you know, just doing that collaborative work is really important in 2020. Yeah, showcasing your work is good, you know, documenting the process. That's why it's, we're in this age of vlogging. You know, everyone's kind of like, you, so I think some people almost feel like if they're not putting everything on the internet they're not working hard enough which sure there there is something to say about some people and i've seen bands do this where they make t-shirts and stuff before they even write any music like we got our band name we got a website we got all this merch mm-hmm. and it's like oh so you know where's your album at oh we're still working on it it's like i think some people they get a little too ahead of themselves it's the cart that, before the horse yeah yeah like they're p- trying to do that sort of uh projection of what a person is supposed to be doing in this day and age of you know easy access of content especially with social media and stuff now it's almost like if you're not showcasing everything showcasing your work it's almost like do you exist do you even exist yeah well facebook and instagram are down today yeah. so influencers are hurting yeah. right now 
yeah, make that content. And then once it's up, then you can post it. But going back to cold emails for a second, yeah. uh, another thing I, I found this week that is not a new idea, but it's an acronym called ADA. And it is uh, a formula for writing good ad copy, but you can also use this for sending cold emails that don't suck. Mm -hmm. So the ADA formula, you have A stands for attention or awareness, and you are trying to attract the attention of the customer. You need to stand out. I is interest. So you raise the customer interest by demonstrating feeder features, advantages, and benefits of what you are selling. Mm -hmm. D is desire. Convince the customer that they want and desire the product or service and it will satisfy their needs. And then A is action. Lead customers toward taking a specific and measurable action. So composing a good email to, let's say you're, you're an intern, you're a wannabe intern, you want to find a uh, music composing internship. So you're looking for a film composer who needs an intern. Okay. You're sending an email. The first thing you want to do is draw attention. You have to get awareness from the composer or from his assistant or whatever. So you need, you need that, that look, that glance over at you. So how do you get that? You might have like an interesting subject line that makes them click. You might have, um, something recent that they were in like, uh, you know, their latest, uh, their latest press release or their latest movie that they just did something that draws their attention to your email. Mm -hmm. Then I, uh, is interest. So we need to raise the customer interest in this case, the film composer interest. Uh, so how do you draw interest? to yourself or to your craft or to your career. Mm -hmm. And the, the easiest way to do that is by offering ways that you can help them. Yes. So a lot of people, a lot of people send an email asking for a handout. So they say mm -hmm. like, how did you do this? I want to borrow your time. Let's meet for coffee. All of these things are fine and good. But if you get a hundred of those emails a day, you, you just end up ignoring all of them, right? So there's yeah. no attention or interest there. How much so, coffee can you drink in a day? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> uh, so with, with interest, you are, you are trying to pique the interest of the film composer by saying, here are the things that I can do for you that you need. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you say like, I will take out the trash for you and I will, you know, orchestrate this crazy difficult music that you've been putting off. That's mm -hmm. interesting, right? So then the next thing is desire. We're trying to convince the customer that they want and desire the product or service and that it will satisfy their needs. So at that point, you can say like, here's the work that I've done so far in my career. Here's where I went to school. Here's anything that basically gives social proof of uh, competence. Yeah. So credits, you, that, stuff that, that you've worked on. You can do, you can do the work that you're saying that you can do mm -hmm. and then action. So you want to lead the customer toward taking a specific and measurable action at the end. So the last part of your email needs to be a call to action and the call to action should be like, call me back or send me an email back or text me if you're interested in what I'm in what I'm offering. Yeah, if you'd like to talk more, you know, feel free to reach out or leave a, exactly. some kind of, you know, email linked links to your website or something, phone number, whatever. Right. So that would be the call to action and that you want to specifically have just one thing you want them to do. So if you're if you're sending a cold email, 
you want an email back. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or whatever. Um, so I, I like that it's, it's very nice and simple. Um, and, and you can kind of build almost any sale using those four letters. Mm -hmm. And I also think if, if you are genuinely interested in trying to, you know, work for somebody, you'll put a little bit more care and effort into the email, you know, especially if, if you really do like this person's work, let's say it's a composer and you want to, you know, assist with, you know, doing STEM bouncing or, you know, even, even maybe helping them with their social media. I mean, there's a lot of composers totally. who, you know, there's a lot of people out there who know, like we were talking about, it's very important to have a presence. So maybe that's the thing they don't want to do. Like, I don't want to go on Twitter. You know, hey, you know, maybe I can help manage your social media and stuff. And then also maybe help with something else, like learning how they go about exporting stems or taking out the trash. I mean, I, I know when uh, back in the day, I had a friend who had a studio and I was kind of getting into wanting to maybe intern at a studio. And sure. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, if you're down to help, you know, straighten up, you know, then I'll show you how to mic stuff, take care of a session, setting up sessions and using pro tools and stuff like that. You know, sometimes that's not the most like cool aspect of the job. Like, oh, Glamorous. so what do you do? Oh, you know, I go into the studio and I take out trash and I make coffee all day. I pulled weeds for one of my studio internships. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but then I, I, I don't think that's necessarily, you know, for some people like, yeah, like, well, where does pulling weeds have to do with, you know, learning the process of being a, a composer or working in a studio. It's, I think they just want to see that you actually are down to do what needs to be done. A lot of you it know, is if you just, have a work ethic, you know, a lot of it is just realizing that you're running a business and the whole thing is running a business. So you want to make the business look good, right? So you, you need the weeds in front of the building to not be there. Um, you need yeah. the trash taken out, you need coffee made. And then, you know, after the session's over, you have free reign of the of the board. You can record something on the piano. You can tune the drums yourself. You can set up mics or put mics away, roll cables. So um, there's definitely like a, a back and forth, uh, you know, like a handshake agreement there. Mm -hmm. But another thing that, you know, composers need is, is good video and audio skills, uh, capturing you know like specific moments and so if you can learn another skill to add to your arsenal that is really helpful and you know we call that like a triple threat basically if you're good mm -hmm. at if you're good at editing videos and you're good at sending you know uh emails and you're good at you know whatever yeah okay. In insert insert new hat to wear <laughs> yeah and and you're good at building websites you know like those three things combined makes you a very valuable asset to a team yeah if you have a genuine interest in learning stuff like i feel like especially at sound iron like one of the things that we all have in common is we're very like autodactic personalities sure it's like if you know even before i ever had the opportunity to work for sound iron i was you know videoing myself editing my own videos learning mixing and all this stuff and i wasn't getting paid for it i just had genuine interest <laughs> right. if you have like genuine interest in things like i always knew i wanted to work in like a music related field 
of course, you know, I play guitar. That's like my main thing, but I just wanted to be somehow involved in the music industry in some way. So that was a very, it's a very broad umbrella. So mm-hmm. many different places you can do. You can get a job working in a warehouse that sells Yamaha speakers, you know, like, yeah, you're still involved in some way, but like it, but still in a more like creative, you know? So I personally just tried to learn different, in, you know, interests of mine. And I think if you do that and you diversify yourself, like you were saying, like doing video, you know, but some people they're like, well, that has nothing to do with music, but in this day and age, it's definitely important, especially yeah, when you got to make TikToks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, got to get on TikTok and get a film. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy what you can get away with, with a phone. Mm-hmm. So there's really no excuse as far as, oh, well, I don't have a nice DSLR camera. Like before, like for anyone who, who doesn't know, before I started working for Sound Iron, all my videos on my YouTube were shot with my iPhone. I had my iPhone and this little LED light. Legendary. And a, and a lav mic that I had connected into my phone that was like a 50 foot lav mic. So there's no excuse to say that you don't have time or you don't have the right equipment. I mean, it's like, you know, this, the stuff I have in here now, you know, and I've seen you other start with that. Exactly. You know, I've, I've seen other composers or musicians who have these like really big and, you know, way, you know, you look at Hans Zimmer's studio and you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. You I know? just watched Kristen, Christian Henson's new studio tour 2021. And that was the first thing he said was, you don't need all this stuff that yeah. I have. He's yeah. like, I have a Procasti reverb. You don't need this. And yeah. you know, like I don't use it on everything. So yeah, he yeah, has you always gotta have gear. that disclaimer. Yeah. And I, I think that's um that's an important thing to mention because it could be very discouraging for up and coming people who want to get into doing this. Like before I started with any of this, I was just like, okay, I know I want to get into doing like home studio stuff and have a yeah. little setup. I got an iMac and an interface. And then a friend of mine gave me a copy of Logic Pro 9. And that was enough to get me started. And then from I had there, the cheese just, grater Mac. Oh, yeah. No, I just I had just had the straight up iMac, super basic, you know. But I mean, you can cut your teeth on anything. You can get Reaper and a laptop and just start learning how to record. Because then from there, it's just like, you know, that's where the research comes in. And you have to have a genuine interest in learning this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like I would be working, you know, at a warehouse and on my lunch break, I would go in, you know, we had computers and I would just be watching YouTube videos on like EQing a kick drum. And it wasn't, no one was telling me, Hey, you need to learn how to EQ a kick drum. I just had genuine interest. And if, if you're that kind of personality where you just like to learn new things sure. and, and try new stuff, like the way I see it is like the way I approached, you know, sort of, I guess, trying to do things in a field that you enjoy is don't don't limit yourself to to one thing i mean it's good to have sort of like a you know like a tier one tier two tier three of of interest you know of course you're gonna have like yeah i would love to be doing this but if i could do this you know it could maybe down the road you can get into doing that that tier one of stuff that you really want to do as your career but i always use the analogy of just like throwing out multiple fishing reels nice like you're bound to catch a fish on one of them, you know, sure. if you just have one, it's a you're matter just kind of, time. yeah, or maybe, you know, it might lend to other, other possibilities or being able to do different things. Cause I, I think it's, it's good to have multiple skill sets or interests, whether it's video and stuff. One of the, one of the internships I had, the composer said, 
50% of my job is actually composing music. And the other 50% is looking up, trying to find the next gig. And this was mm -hmm. a successful composer. Like not, this was not someone who was grinding. This was someone who like what had big Hollywood gigs. And mm -hmm. he said, you think you get into this to write music. And what you actually do is sit in meetings with directors and, you know, work on taxes and look for the next gig or mm -hmm. have your agent look for the next gig. And yeah. so that is something to keep in mind is like you are, you are approaching it looking to do one thing and no job is really doing one thing and only one thing. Mm -hmm. So it, it really helps to have as many soft skills and hard skills as you can possibly acquire and you'll be a more, um, valued asset, I think. Yeah. You'll be, you'll be a more valuable asset to a team. You know, like other jobs I've been at where you have people that are like, that's not my job. And there is, there is a, a degree of, you know, separation. Like you need to, you know, if you have a job, like that's your thing, you know, but, but not being opposed to learning some new thing that's like, oh, like going in and being able to do something on the website or, oh, I got to make this change. You know, like that kind of stuff is, it's, it's good to know. And it, it just mm -hmm. not only makes you a more valuable team member, but you know, it's like, if, if you have something that you care about, you don't really think of it as like, you know, it's like, you know, if you're working at McDonald's and you're like, I'm normally doing this thing and someone says, Hey, you know, go out and do this. You're like, well, that's not my job. You know, because it's like, you, you probably don't really care about it, but you know, I think when you have something that you do care about, or even if it's like a job you're aspiring to get, being able to do the legwork as if when that time comes, you're ready for it. You know, it's like, 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 what did they say? Luck is uh preparation meeting opportunity. Like right. I've always thought that's super true because that's exactly what it is. Like if you're just sitting around saying, I want to score the next Marvel movie but you just don't work on composing or like everything that goes into that job, you know, dealing with score sheets and, you know, scoring to picture. If you're just like, Oh, I just like write a bunch of, you know, action music, but you, you're like, yeah, I could, I could do the next Avengers. And then that gig comes. All right, here you go. Boom. And then you get swamped by all this stuff and you're just like, Whoa, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. Like, you know? Yeah. No preparation. Yeah. No opportunity. Yeah. And, and, I think when you are generally interested in something, you just do it. Basically you just, yeah. A big part is also founder, like having a founder mentality. And mm -hmm. so if you, if you think of yourself as the founder or the owner of a company or a brand, you are more likely to do whatever it takes to get the mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. And so having, you know, having a founder mentality where you take ownership for the trash getting taken out, or you take ownership for the burgers getting flipped or whatever it is that really sets you up for success in almost any field. And then also going back to the other thing that you mentioned in that list was becoming friends. I feel one thing that you should genuinely do is just make friends with people. Right. That is something that is funny. So you get told to network, right? And then everyone's yeah. like, ooh, networking's gross. It's actually, if you stop using the word networking, it becomes a lot easier because mm -hmm. you're just gaining friendships that have synergy. You know, you hit up your director friend about the new indie film that he just started to work on and say, like, hey, if you need, you know, someone to hold the lights or whatever, I'm interested. Or if you need some temp music, I can compose it for you. That's the kind of thing where you find a hole and fill it mm -hmm. and becoming friends, uh, with people who are doing creative work ends basically ends with you getting jobs in a creative field.
going back to like, think about it when you're, when you're in high school or just in your life, like you don't think about like, I need a network. You just meet people, you know, or, or you, you meet lots of people, but then there's some people that you really click with maybe like, oh, like, you know, you're into music. I like music too. And then you just kind of become friends. And then you're in a band. Yeah, exactly. Like I've had opportunities, you know, doing, doing work for, for composers just out of just becoming friends with them or having genuine interests or, you know, similar backgrounds or something like that, doing stuff in, you know, metal or something. Um, And then you just kind of become friends with people just out of having a cool conversation. You know, like if you're that guy who just like shows up and starts passing your, your business card to everyone, you're that, you don't want to be that guy who's like, Oh, stay, you know, stay away from that. You know, everyone's just hanging out, maybe having some drinks or something. You don't want to be that punisher that just goes up to everybody and is like, Hey, I am a, this, I need you to hire me for this. You know, like right. people I did that all up, the time. I did yeah. hit up junkie XL like that at Nam a little bit. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's like you and everyone else, buddy. <laughs> no, but yeah, just like be cool with people. Like, cause then when people talk about you, like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, I met him, you know, he's cool or, you know, we had Seems a- like a nice guy. Yeah. It's, it's very, very much not about handouts. Like you don't want to, you don't want to be walking into a place with your hat in your hand and saying like, Hey, I'm desperate for a job and I'm looking for work mm-hmm. as a film composer because you and everyone else. Yeah. Get in line, work. man. Cause everyone <laughs> else is trying to find work too. And that's the thing, but you know, but everyone also like has their own specialties. And I think that's something that people should definitely focus on more, especially when it comes to music or, or trying to stand out, you know, like people say, you know, be the best version of yourself. Don't try to be a copy, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of thing. And it's like, and I know that's something I've talked with you about, like having your own strengths. Like for me, it's not playing keyboard, you know, like that's not my thing. So it's like, okay, well, if this is my weakness, focusing on, on your strengths and, and that sort of thing, not to say that you shouldn't work on, on things that you're weak at, but focus on the things that make you unique. Then. Yeah. You can set up the game to play to your strengths. Yeah. And, and also going back to the, to the thing that we were talking about, like, I think, I think Gary V has a, a book where he was, it's called like jab, jab, punch or something like that. Where it's yeah, like, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Jab, it, jab, right hook, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And, you know, think about that when it comes to, you know, the, the gross term of networking, you know, it's like, don't just right out the bat, Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? So do you need a, you know, do you need this? You know, sure. or like, Hey, I need a job. Did you, you know, it's like, that doesn't always work. And most of the time, if you do that, you're probably going to get the same sort of response. Like you said, putting yourself out there in the, in the sense of how, how can you help somebody? Cause that's really what it comes down to. You know, it's like, you know, how can I help you because I want to learn or, mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. So the whole, like going back to the whole jab, jab, right hook sort of thing. It's, it's like, don't just come right out of the gate and just start punishing people. Just be cool. Have genuine conversations. Cause it's like, that's the stuff that, that people remember. You're like, Oh, yeah. you know, like, Oh yeah. I remember him. We were talking about fishing for an hour and a half. Right. You know, well, we're both of, from Boston. Yeah. You know, we yeah. always go to this one coffee shop and like, for some reason they knew about it, you know, and that's the stuff that I think people remember. And then if down the road they hear, oh, he actually, you know, he's a drummer. Oh, actually, I I need some some drumming on this thing that I'm working on. Would you be down to do it? And because you have that genuine friend connection, that could lead into something that maybe you never even 
expected Mm -hmm. just from just being a cool person and you know oh and you happen to do this people hire their friends Mm -hmm. a lot of times like you said it's you didn't get the gig always because you're the best person for the job it's just because hey they want to work with you exactly so work on being a cool person instead of passing your business card around nice yeah yeah but keep them in your back pocket because sometimes people ask for it (laughs) no burn them (laughs) yeah burn them all so my recommendation for this week is a documentary on netflix called count me in and it is a drummer documentary it interviews a bunch of drummers uh the drummer for iron maiden he's like an old british man uh charlie watts um they talk about a ton of drummers and basically like drum history from the 50s where you know jazz was prevalent into the british you know invasion and how you know playing straight straight hi-hat stuff uh was like very foreign and then Mm -hmm. just like the sweeping wave of music that came with all of that and the history over the past 70 years of rock and roll specifically rock drumming uh and it was really cool one of the one of the parts uh the drummer for foo fighter was was saying that he was in like fourth grade and one of his friends sat him down on a drum set and he was like yeah so you start with the hi-hat and you just count count to four over and over again with the hi-hat and then try to put the kick on one and he puts the kick on one mm-hmm. and then the snare on three and he's just like does it really easily mm-hmm. and the guy just looks at him he's like you're a drummer and he's like <laughs> he's like basically a lightning bolt hit me at that at that point in time where my life was never going to be the same because mm-hmm. drums just came so naturally to me and he said by the time you know fifth sixth grade rolled around if you're not like the funniest one or the best looking one or the smartest one, you need something to basically like wrap your identity around. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, that was drums and drums became like my armor. And mm-hmm. I felt that like so strongly from guitar because that was same. around the same time that I found guitar and guitar just like became my identity as a middle schooler, where it's just like, I'm a guitarist and that's all I do is just play guitar. Oh, you started playing in middle school? Yeah, 12 years old. Uh-huh. Dang, I didn't start playing until I was probably like into sophomore year of high school. Yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, for, you know, there are a lot of musicians who have dealt with like bullying or things like that. And I was definitely no stranger to that. So I think mm-hmm. like when I found guitar, it was kind of like my thing to kind of hide away in. And I remember the first time uh, we convinced my music teacher to let us play Crazy Train in the steel band. Nice. So we were playing in front of the whole school. You know, people would always, you know, see me walking around or whatever, you know, w- with a guitar case. And then I remember after that, all these people were just like, "Whoa, you play guitar!" Like it was like this thing. And that was like, "Oh, you're that guy with the long hair and you you play guitar." Like, oh, it was, you know, that was cool or whatever. But uh, it, it's funny how yeah, like that kind of becomes your you know your thing or i think some people do that with music it's kind of like what they listen to becomes their identity which i don't yeah it's ingrained in you it's a very high school middle school mentality like i sure I, you know like you get some people that are like i'm a this right i'm a that you know but yeah that, that, that's cool i gotta check that out i think yeah I count seeing... me in it's it's really good it just came out in august um and it's like i think it's just a netflix original it, it didn't make like a big splash when it came out, but it was a really fun watch. It's only, you know, like 90 minutes. Uh, but 
I learned about some drummers I didn't know about. Um, and they, they just gave like a great overview of rock drumming. That's cool. Yeah. The thing I want to recommend today is something that I've been using for a while. I know I was talking with you about it. It's a Asana. Oh yeah. Asana. Yeah. It's a, it's a really cool way of structuring your, your day. Uh, you know, you could do everything from having like to-do lists, uh, structuring stuff on the calendar, having lists, you know, it's, uh, I know you've, you've mentioned that you like having uh, a to-do list and then checking it off and yeah. click, clicking the little checkpoint and seeing it disappear and just gotta get that, that dopamine, man. Yeah. Like, just like it's done. So it's, it's a great way of, uh, organization for any of you out there who are looking for a way to sort of structure your day and lay things out, especially for composers or whether you have your own business, that sort of thing, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, a great way of organization. Um, there's, there's plenty of other, other ones like that, but that's what I've been using. It's pretty cool, especially for, you know, doing social media stuff or, or having so to do you, lists. Do you input a bunch of tasks at the beginning of the week for the whole week? Or do you like start the day with a bunch of like tasks that you type in for the day or how do you do it? Uh, sometimes what I'll do is whenever something comes up that needs to be done. And if let's say I'm not necessarily handling it that moment, kind of like what we were talking about before, like it, it, I don't want to get too hung up on like little small things that can kind of eat up time. So what I'll do is what I used to do is actually, um, I used to have, or I still do. It's like a little, like a notepad. Sometimes I'll do this. If I just like quickly just want to write something down. Sure. Sometimes I'll just go in, I'll, I'll have Asana on like a separate window and I'll just, you know, have a to-do list and I'll just da -da 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 -da, drop it in there real quick. And then what's cool is in there, you can rearrange it. So you can set it to like, you know, highest priority, lowest priority. Like, you know, I have videos that I'm planning on doing down the road, certain sound iron sessions that I have planned for composing in certain styles. So it's just more of like a place to drop either things that I want to do or things that I need to do. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll, do it for like a day-to-day -day thing or mainly what I like to use it for is like a things to do. I'll arrange it in priority. And then there's also a calendar. So if I'm like doing certain social media posts, I can be like, oh, you know, I know on this past day I posted about this. Mm, nice. So it's a good way of uh, not overstepping and posting the same stuff all the time or just being structured. And, and uh, there's a lot of cool things you can do with it as far as um, structuring and scheduling your day or blocking out time. So it's pretty cool, super useful for anyone who's, you know, trying to find some other method of staying organized. Nice. I use something similar called Todoist and I have a app on my phone and I have the, the desktop or it's the web app mm -hmm. and I have a whole list of sound iron stuff. And then I'll plug in like anything during the day that I'm thinking of. I'll just add it to that list. And I can also add it from my phone if I'm like you know, remote or mobile. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, I got to do that. You know, I can set like, do this later today. And so that definitely helps me, uh, keep things moving. The last but. thing, the last thing I'll recommend is bent side spin. It. it is the new library that we just dropped. It's a vintage keys. It is a predecessor to the harpsichord and the piano forte. It is a 17th century Italian instrument that spread through Europe and I made a track using it almost like a clavinet kind of sound, kind of funky, uh, fun, four on the floor style. So you should check out my composing video and you should get Bentside Spin It.
Yeah, and it's on sale now. On sale now, $19. Yeah, you can't beat it. That's it for today. I want to thank you guys all for checking out the podcast. Make sure to follow us on, uh, you could listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast platform that you can think of. So make sure to subscribe so you can get all the different podcasts as they're posted. And uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Nice chatting, Nathan. Absolutely. Talk to you next week. Peace. We will be back next week. Adios.